Megan's about to go on her summer holidays, so the last thing she wants is a German official called Klaus warning her about her winter heating bills. But Germany is on the brink of a gas crisis, so we have special guest energy expert Izzy Choksi to keep us calm. If anyone can help, it'll be economy minister and noughties rom-com star Robert Harbeck. Skoll! everyone. It's time for another Megan's Megacon. I'm Megan. I'm here with Conrad Werner. Hello. And yes, there's a delay because someone is on the other microphone. And we're very, very, very excited to have Izzy Choksi back with us. You were a guest with us. Hello, Izzy. Hello. Hi, Uh, Megan. You were a guest before. You came on before the election to talk about Klimalister and climate and you you were so inspiring and amazing. And loads of people have been saying to me and to us, I think, how, how great you were. So we're very excited to have you back. Well, thanks very much for having me back on. Thanks for coming on this very hot Sunday. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't really help, did it, with the Klima list? So they, didn't, they got like 0.5% of the vote in I, Berlin. Yeah, I think it was sort of one, I was one vote out of one, 1,004. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I'm not sure if those are the correct figures, um, but it was it was a pretty pretty low vote share in the end. How was the Klimalista election night party? I wasn't part of it. Uh, was I, did, one? I did not go. Oh, okay. I heard that it was quite a lot of fun, but yeah, I I voted Klimalista for what it's worth. But is it? In lot. addition to being a climate enthusiast. <laughs> You're also on Radio Spiedkauf, yeah, which is another Berlin-based news podcast. If you like facts, more facts, and a very professional, professional show that is also entertaining, I would suggest checking it out. What else are you up to? I'm also up to, so I just started next to my full-time work. I also do some tour guiding. So I used to be a tour guide in Berlin for about six years and gave that up after the pandemic ripped away tourism from the city. And I've just started up doing these social movement tours. Mm. Um, So I've been doing those for a few months now, so about four months. And uh, the social movement tours are tours where I get to talk about Berlin through this very specific prison of social movements. So this tour that I've created is a tour of social movements from 1848 until 1919. So Karl Marx to Rosa Luxemburg. And we just walk through Mitte and go to various different points. And I talk about why Berlin happened to become the city with the largest social movements in the whole of Europe. So what is it about the city that made it so popular for for left-wing movements and social movements? That sounds fascinating. Yeah. We should all go on your tour. Well, you can. I think we need to keep the socialist spirit of Berlin alive. Please and kicking. come. <laughs> um, when is your next one? How can people come? So the next one is going to be at 2pm on the 16th of July. So that's in two weekends time. And it's going to, we're going to meet at the Martin Luther statue right next to Alexanderplatz. So it's in front of the Marienkirche. I think 1848 and 1919 are useful places to bookend because they're such big stories. But the idea is also to really pick up the story of like what's really happening in Berlin and why is it generating um, so many social movements in the mid 1800s at a time when industrialization is really getting going. So that's kind of why I picked a date that's also quite 
it's well known, it's attractive, it's interesting. I obviously tell the story of the 1848 revolution, the failed revolution of 1848. But the idea is to really capture that moment in history and try to understand why you have a social movement and what that failed revolution actually generates in the next 70 years up until the next failed leftist revolution of 1919. And I'll eventually get to a failed revolution (laughs) of today. And hopefully someday you'll be talking about the, you know, third time's the charm, (laughs) Berlin. Shall we have some booze? Yay! Yay! All right. I sort of went on a summary theme. Izzy, as our lovely guest, you can choose between. Now, listen up. Okay. Havana Club, Cuban rum mixed with lime. Sounds terrifying. Sounds summary. I think I had that one last time, so I'm going to pass. Did you? Havana Club, Cuban spiced and cola. Cuban rum, tropical fruit flavors, spices and cola. Yes. This is a limited edition and the can is very beautiful. We had it recently. I can't remember if we liked it or not. And the Jack Daniels Lynchburg Lemonade. I kind of want the Lynchburg Lemonade. Yes, that's a good Please. choice. But I am very attracted to the can. So I feel like whoever gets the really sexy Havana Club. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Oh, Jesus. That'll do it. That slips down very nicely. The Lynchburg Lemonade mm. is, is a really good one. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a professional. I mean, it's. I feel like this is the kind of can that's going to somewhere have a date on it. And that date is going to be a long time ago. I'm happy with this. This is fine, but it doesn't taste very limey. I mean, I'm drinking rum in the in the day. What can be bad day-ish. about that? What's happening? <laughs> We're going to have to talk about the news. Yeah. Unfortunately. I can always feel you trying to avoid the news at the beginning of the podcast. There's always like a, there's always a moment where I have to like get you over that for, that bump. It's like a spe- just yeah. trying to avoid <laughs> talking. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the thing is, like, we're the podcast where we don't really want to talk about the thing that we're here for. But anyway, what we're here for and why we've got Izzy on. Yes is because we want to talk about the energy crisis. And it's a little bit topical because only yesterday, uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz gave a, a, he put on a, he had, you know, he does a video podcast, oh, a video cast. And uh, he said, what? yeah, he does a, like a weekly. Seriously. Like an address. Who watches? Who's the audience? <laughs> Merkel What's... did one too. What? It was a, it was a <laughs> thing. Yeah, they all did. It's the thing that they do. Is this like the king's speech, the queen's speech or something where they address their publicum? <laughs> Angela Merkel did a wee speech on a video every week did anyone see her did anyone see her q a that she did recently no for a paid audience in a in a theater that was a delight (laughs) it was so interesting to see her speaking after what six months yeah no one hearing from her public appearance yeah yeah i think what was interesting is that if you compare it to schultz it was just a completely different kind of it was a politician with so much talent for politics yeah and i think i realized like why i didn't have anything against her for so long you know she's like a snake charmer well yeah and she was she was justifying the fact that she kind of kept ukraine out of the eu and all that sense she had to like justify that it's actually yeah she said a bunch of really controversial stuff in such an insanely charming way (laughs) that no one really noticed it was like (laughs) yeah angela well anyway on schultz's weekly podcast which we're all going to be watching from now on he said the german population needs to link arms and stick together because of the rising cost of living crisis in germany food and prices generally have gone up by about 7.6 percent since june yeah and, and and also german top energy official klaus muller from the bundesnetzagentur 
the federal network agency. He's the man who's in kind of in charge of um, Germany's grid, power grid. <laughs> he said that what might happen is that uh, Putin might just turn off the gas next week on July the 11th because there's a scheduled maintenance happening on Nord Stream 1. It's supposed to go for 11 days but Putin might just keep it off forever. So things are going quite badly. And we might all... He said... Yeah. And he said we have 12... He also... Miller, he also said we have 12 le- weeks left before the heating season begins. Klaus. <laughs> I understand. Your job sounds like my fucking nightmare. <laughs> but... And I'm sure you do a great job because most of the time I the gas works. Good for you. Do not start talking about the beginning of the heating season when I'm about to go on summer holidays. Mm-hmm. Fucking well CNA the other day and over there like loudspeaker came and ad about Einschulung and like the back to school thing. Just killing just, everyone's just fun. Just deal with it and if it can't be dealt with let me know in September. So Izzy are we all going to freeze in the autumn? Um, so here's why I don't think Putin is going to I mean this is like exclusive content on... <laughs> Putin's mindset here. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, just to backtrack. So I work for a think tank, an energy-focused think tank, climate-focused think tank, and I work specifically on coal policy and also do some gas policy as well. So I have like a bit of a front row seat to all of this stuff. And here's why I don't think Putin's going to turn off the tap completely. Um, Because what he's doing at the moment is messing with the volumes. So we're currently down at at 40% of capacity through Nord Stream 1, which is the pipeline that um, services a lot of the gas that's coming from Russia to Germany. We're currently at 40%, which basically means that we cannot fill our storage tanks as quickly as we could have done if we were at 100%. And um, filling the storage tanks is what the entire government is now obsessed with at the moment, which is fair enough because filling the storage tanks is absolutely essential to us not freezing in the winter and they're currently at about 57 to 60 percent we need them to be around 90 to 100 percent in order to get around two and a half months that's 85 days worth of gas if putin decides to completely halt all exports of gas through Nord Stream 1, then we would have around 85 days worth of gas if we filled up those storage tanks to 90 to 100%. But currently they're getting filled a lot slower because the gas that's coming through is now basically mostly being used in where it is being used. It's being used directly and that means it's being used in the industry. It's being used in the various different you know, parts of the economy that absolutely need it, not necessarily mm-hmm. through heating, but through cooking, for instance. A lot of people have gas cookers, they're using those, they can't stop using them. And you also have uh, heating systems as well that need, that run on gas. Um, so a lot of the, the gas that's currently coming in is being used, which means less can be stored. Mm-hmm. So that's what the government is getting really, really worried about, the inability for us to actually fill up our storage tanks. And the reason I think that he's not going to stop it completely is because if he stops it completely then Germany has absolutely no choice whatsoever it has to diversify or it has to go through an incredible energy savings campaign and it will probably result in the loss of possibly like thousands of jobs if he stopped it completely but it's a one hit brutal hit right and that is something that the German government currently has the economic ability to counteract Mm. I mean yeah it's going to be really tough and it's going to be a kind of like corona scale event where for instance like 
No one necessarily was weeping tears for the tourism industry that completely went under during Corona. I mean, Mm. people were aware that tourism completely sunk, but now it feels like the gas industry has done a really good job of of promoting, for instance, the chemicals industry and saying what kind of a terrible world we would live in without them. And that's true. And they have knock on effects as well. So chemicals industry goes out. You can't, for instance, put paint on cars and stuff. So then that would have an effect on manufacturing in other different parts of the economy. Um, But it would kind of be this moment in time that would probably be a situation solved within about five to six months once we were able to diversify. What Putin wants is long-term or semi-long-term high, high, high prices and us paying those prices because the alternative is unacceptable for a population. And in order to do that, you have to create instability in the market. So this was this move that he made two weeks ago to lower it to 40% has already had like a dramatic effect on gas prices. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's already also had a dramatic effect on policymakers as well. And then this, uh, you know, planned maintenance, which is, you know, the argument that, that Russia is saying is that they needed parts from Siemens that they can't get hold of because of the energy, because of the embargoes. So it's a direct kind of, it's a direct kind of like you lower the embargoes and we'll give you this, we'll give you this gas. That's not going to happen. The embargoes are going to stay in place. But what Putin achieves is he manages to get another real hit to the system, which will have another direct effect on gas prices. And gas prices are not coming down anytime soon. So it's going to increase the price of gas, which has a knock on effect on inflation. So, I mean, this is this is like midterm destabilization of a country. Germany has promised to get out of Russian gas by 2024. That's three years before Europe. So Europe has something called the Repower EU plan that is being finalized at the moment. And that's a plan to get off Russian gas by 2027. But Germany has said, we're going to do it by 2024. So Putin basically has the next two and a half years or two years to to get as much revenue as possible. And the best way to do that is not stopping gas immediately. It's to create a system where he'll probably be getting five to six years worth of revenue because of the extremely high prices. So currently we're getting a lot less volume than we were, but we're paying around about the same or more than we were a year ago. I guess he is still trying to be strategic, I suppose. Just his strategy is not particularly working. I think his strategy is working in some ways, but it's yeah. limited in others. Yeah. You know, it's it's got a limited amount of, of scope. Like, so if, if he was really trying to break the embargoes, he probably would be doing something different. So what he's doing instead is to get as much he, as he can in the time that he has mm. left to, to fund his um, military and then try to diversify the exports over to China and India as fast as possible. So currently there's this... A gas pipeline that's being built between China and Russia that's expected to go online in 2025 2026 so you've got these alternative plans that are in place but he needs for the next couple of years to make as much money from Europe as possible in order to fund the war in Ukraine so that's why these midterm policies are not going to be as drastic as the most yeah. drastic people say okay. but what the German government and what Bundesnetzagentur is doing is they're preparing for a large-scale energy efficiency drive that will probably come about in September. They're preparing the German public and they're preparing That's industry not, I'm ready as for well. This in September. Just don't fucking talk to me about it at the beginning of July. Just let us have our summer. And the, isn't there a, like a, a three-stage emergency plan? Mm-hmm. And we're on stage two. We're on stage two. We got to stage two when he went down to 40%. So when Nord Stream right. 2 went down to 40%, then Harbeck announced at the beginning of last week, I think, that we went up to yeah. stage two. 
And what does stage two mean? It means that there is a certain amount of readiness that is required of industry and gas networks and also plans put in place for industry to sell back their gas supplies Mm. to gas providers so that they will engage in more energy efficiency measures. And it also means that the government is able to kind of retake companies that are seen as hostile to the energy security. So for instance, this really comes into t- into into account when we consider like how much of the gas storage was owned by Gazprom mm-hmm. in Germany, uh, which is obviously a hostile entity. So that was the Energy Security Act was put in place so that various measures can be enacted in order that Germany is able to store as much gas as it can and also take as much of that storage space as possible and so basically seize it from Gazprom yeah seize the tanks and stage three would happen presumably sometime in the autumn and that eventually maybe and that would be like red alert wouldn't it and that would that means that certain industries would have to shut down um I think it would be yeah like mandated efficiency measures and mandated energy savings yeah I think the sort of the number that's being touted at the moment is around 10 to 15% energy savings. And yeah, that's most likely what all of this is leading up to, right? You mean you, the politicians are really starting to engage in quite serious language. And you said like Schultz on his video podcast talking about it, Harbeck's talking about it almost every day. You've got the Bundesnetzagentur talking about it. So there's a yeah. sense that the yeah. German public are being prepared. Yeah for an energy efficiency campaign that's not going to be voluntary. We currently have a voluntary energy efficiency campaign that's coming out from the government, which is trying to get people to like lower their gas and to uh, take short showers, I think, is the, you know, go yeah. down from 10 minutes to five minutes. And um, check, your, check your boilers. Check your boilers. Maintenance checks can reduce gas consumption by 10 to 15 percent according to Klaus Miller. Exactly. So these are all sort of like on the individual level. And that's, I think, how to soften up your population for like mandatory measures that will be made later. And it's sort of interesting, I think, because obviously we live in a, I've I've lived a very privileged and and sheltered life in very developed countries where I've really not had to suffer anything other than sort of two years of the corona restrictions. And I wonder if in a way it's kind of like, yeah, we can probably suck that up. Do you want to know what else Klaus Miller said? I've just seen this quote now. It's quite funny. I'm, I'm, I'm loving Klaus's work. What's he saying? Uh, he said, we cannot class every business as essential, adding that public swimming pools are probably not in the critical sector, just like the production of chocolate cookies. He's, like a kind of, he's kind of like our dad. <laughs> My dad was way more cracked than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Klaus. Mind you, he, he, he has to have this role, doesn't he? You don't want someone like sort of like me running the network. I'm like, ah, it'll probably be grand. <laughs> yeah, live in the moment. Life is short. Well, I lived without central heating for ages because Achelius are shit. So it was really unpleasant and I hope people don't have to do it. And it was fine just for me. And I had hot water as well. It's just awful. I don't know how people that have families and who are in precarious financial situations anyway, everything is just so expensive. It's all at once, yeah. Flights are... Izzy, can we, can we talk about Robert Harbeck? Yes. <laughs> so what Robert Harbeck, he's been going around the Middle East buying liquid natural gas terminals for cities, isn't he? Because he's, we need to replace the gas. 
He has been on a shopping spree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what else has he been doing? He's been doing a lot. Robert Habeck has been working it recently. <laughs> he is the economy... Why can I... So halfway to a Megan card. I feel like Izzy's a bit flustered with the mention of Robert Habeck. <laughs> as, as we all are, he's... How would we describe him? Let's not say what he does. Let's just talk about what he looks like for people who don't know. He looks very nice. He does. He looks like the sort of lead character kind of in a... Kind of like one of those Hugh Grant comedies, but better. Yeah. Like kind of a bit disheveled, uh-huh. but like has a good job. With standing up hair. Very noughties. Standing yes, up hair. Yes. Yeah. If Colin Firth yeah, had there standing is a bit up of a bang, hair. bang of Colin Firth off of him. He reminds me more of like an overgrown skater boy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He sort of put a shirt on against his will. Mm, He is the minister for the economy and the environment. Climate. Climate. Ah, yes. I think I read that the other day and I was like, is that not Habak's job? But he's for climate. He's for climate. So yeah, the economy and climate. BMWK. BMWK. Bundesministerium für Wirtschaft und Klima. There we go. Oh, my God. <laughs> I do work in that sector. Um, so what do you want to know about Harbeck? You said that the government has come up with these different ways of trying to save energy. And you said that the, well, we have three government parties, the Green Party, the SPD and the FDP, and they each have their own little plan. So what is the Green Party's plan? This is actually not to save energy. We would love if all of them came up with their ideas for saving energy. Okay. But no, it's it's to combat the cost of living crisis created by gas prices. Ah, okay. So, so yeah, we got these three plans coming from the three parties who make up the Traffic Light Coalition. So from the SPD, we've got 300 euros taxed um, that will be given to each citizen in order to combat or household. I'm not sure if it's citizen or household, actually. Or maybe taxpayer. That's called um, the Einsparbonus. Einsparbonus. And that's yeah. coming in, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's coming in in August. And oh, that, that they can leave till the end of the summer. <laughs> oh, I couldn't have my 300 Einspar... Fuck. I think because a lot of gas bills are coming in in September. Mm. So people are going to need it around then. And then, so that's the that's one of them. That's the SPD. The second one is the tank rabat, which is the tank discount or the petrol discount. And that was come up with by the geniuses in the FPD. Um, and I say that with scornful amounts of sarcasm. Um, so the FPD, so we've got the transport minister, Volker Vissing, and the, uh, yeah, the finance minister. I don't think you minister. should have a transport minister who's FDP. Like, I just, it, we should have rules. It seems like an oversight. <laughs> Like, you just want to be a fucking lad in your car. I don't... Yeah, no, that's... Because they are the party of having no speed limit on the motorways. Mm. That is, like, a central part of their thing. I drove on the Autobahn for the first time ever yesterday. (laughs) Uh, But not in a bit where you could go as fast as you wanted. Yeah, no one tells you that. Actually, there's loads of bits where you can't go as fast as you want. Yeah, I was just in and around and around and around Berlin in a van yesterday. But it, okay. it's, but, uh, it's on, uh, on Vissing just... though, when approached about this, so the tempo limit was sort of a point of conversation a couple of months ago and lots of people are calling for it because it would save a lot of 
gas. It would save a lot of petrol. And like, this is a lives really as well. Like lives. No one should be petrol, driving that fast. Not money. Pilot. Um, but so he was approached about this, and he said he made the very insightful comment. Also sarcasm. Sorry, it doesn't come across. I think the it'll be clear. We've, we've um, primed our audience about the FDP. <laughs> but he said that young people should stop posting pictures of their food on Instagram, and that would be a good way of lessening the amount of uh, amount of energy that is used for servers that host the internet oh my god it's so it's so long-winded i i don't even know the i can't even remember what the idea is but yet he's saying servers that host the internet use a lot of electricity Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pointless shit that goes on on the internet. I'm sure he would count this as that as well. Um, and specifically, if young people stopped putting pictures of their food on the inter- on the Instagram and the Facebook, then that would be a really great energy savings. And then we wouldn't what have to have a speed limit. Cunt. <laughs> like, how do you have a job in the public? Cert- like the public fucking. I and you're so shit at it and you say stuff like that and no one fucking disciplines you mm, Twitter did good yeah it's that same argument like oh yeah the economy is destroyed and the climate but like have you had a lot of avocado toast millennial that's why you don't have a house I'm very sweaty <laughs> <laughs> I'm not usually like I just I'm so I was just I wasn't sure whether to take the microphone but I wasn't sure if you finished or not anyway <laughs> But That's you wanted the... to talk about Robert, so... Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Well, so, I, well sorry. we were going... Rob. We, so the tank <laughs> about was a different one. But we talked about oh, yeah. the tank about recently on yeah, the yeah. Basically, it kind it's of was a, a bit of a failure. Yeah. And they're now even already blaming each other for why it's gone wrong. Yeah. And what is the Green Party's plan? And that's something that you'll probably all be familiar with already, the nine-year-old ticket. <laughs> and we have some initial... There was a report that came out at the end of June to assess what had happened with the nine-year-old ticket. And would you like to hear about the findings? I really genuinely would. All I've been seeing is pictures of really crowded train platforms <laughs> with teachers on school trips being like, fuck! <laughs> so that will be the around 15% increase in passengers that mm-hmm. have happened um, since the beginning of June. Uh, 21 million tickets sold. That's and great. And if you add that, on top of that was 10 to 11 million people who were subscribers or had the these you know, year-long tickets. Mm-hmm. So they already had it. And then add on top of that, uh, 21 million so that was above the uh, average for a june yeah passenger numbers went up by around 15 percent and they did a analysis of traffic as mm-hmm. well in 26 german cities and out of 26 23 of them reported less congestion mm. with the most uh, lessening of congestion happening in hamburg and wiesbaden and they had around 14 to 15 percent reductions in congestion that's great. It does seem so, right? I mean, people are overall very happy with it. There was a poll that came out that said that the people who had bought it or people who had already got the nine euro ticket were 89% in favor of it. They really liked it. And that 64% of people within Germany, so not necessarily just people who have bought the ticket, but 64% of Germans are pro it. They yeah. are very enthusiastic about it. And there is now a growing support for this to be extended and turned into something that can be actually like an annual ticket. Um, there's this number that's starting to come out of the 365 ticket, so 365 euros for 365 days, mm-hmm. so it's one euro a day. That has just been taken up by Vienna. So there's this mm. sense of like a growing 
movement now towards yeah. actually creating some kind of cheap simple ticket because what people like about it the it's most so simple it's simple yeah there was like a tweet going around but like i think the best thing about the nine euro ticket is it's just called the nine euro ticket not some like incredibly long german like <laughs> <laughs> word do we know what the train companies are saying? Because I do feel it's great and I'm 100% for it, but it must be a bit difficult dealing with 15% extra folks on the trains. Or are they all right? They're just like, yeah. Well, I think so. Some of them have actually increased the number of trains, but only by a very small amount. So there's one train company that increased their trips per month by 250, but they do 22,000 trips a day so they do 22,000 okay. train rides oh a day so it's it's a very small amount of increases but what train companies are really signaling right now is that we've had around 15 years of underinvestment in the public transport system mm. I mean I think what we're realizing now is like we've had sort of it's always like oh the last 16 years of underinvestment in this and the last 16 years of underinvestment in this it's like what the fuck were the CDU even doing and how the fuck are they now winning elections like what we're realizing now is like how on its fucking knees this country was yeah. um oh, when there's the- a war coming oh the don't don't look at the army don't know <laughs> <laughs> that's there's nothing for you there like <laughs> right so it's be freezing in september freezing cold and defending myself thanks merkel but she's so charming she fucking is she really had us all fooled um so yeah what the train companies are now saying is we've had like a decade of underinvestment yeah. uh, we don't have enough personnel they've yes. got a personnel issue they've got an underinvestment issue they're saying we need more carriages we need more people mm-hmm. so much more needs to be done in getting actually the infrastructure up to scratch because that's really what's creating a lot of problems so in june there were a lot of scheduled maintenance works that went ahead and the vast majority of uh, delays and cancellations in trains that people just sort of naturally blamed on the nine euro ticket because it was the biggest thing to have happened. Ah, okay. That was actually mostly due to um, planned maintenance works that mm-hmm. were going ahead during what was an unexpectedly more busy than usual June. So yeah, I think that's the main message that train companies are really trying to get across. It's like, if you want to keep this going and if you want people to travel at these rates more, then we need far more investment in our infrastructure and in our personnel as well. Well, what's Vissing going to do about that? Fuck all. Fuck all. Because he wants to drive around in his dumb car on the Autobahn. In 2022, our fucking transport minister wants to just be able to drive his car as fast as he likes it's silly he's very proud of the nine euro ticket though almost like he came up with it himself he did not so um (laughs) who did come up with the nine euro ticket (laughs) Um, i don't think it was i wanted to be him i wanted to be him so badly let's just pretend it was (laughs) let's just just pretend it was um (laughs) Is that so? Those are the three measures brought in by the Greens, the FDP, and the SPD. I think my favorite so far, even though I have used it for literally nothing, is the nine euro ticket. Mine too. I don't know if that came across. Do you want to talk about Habeck? Yes, more about Habeck. You were going to talk about Schultz and Harbeck. Ah, uh, yes. About how they're different people. Mm, they and are. <laughs> there's one guy called Robert Harbeck and there's other guy uh, called Schultz. A bit like Merkel, Harbeck seems to have charmed the whole of the 
of, of the German media. Oh yes. And um, he he seems to be very popular, and he seems to be good at. Well, we talked about this before, but we, he's he seems to be very good at kind of explaining simply what the problem is. Yeah. And not like and not trying to pretend that you know that he can that you can just do something as that easily. He can say like, look, it's not as easy as you think, and I have to give you some bad news. He's quite good at saying bad news in a way that you can understand and go, okay, I understand. Whereas most politicians are much more like, oh, trying to pretend that everything's okay and they're in charge and in control, you know? Mm. And I don't know, that seems to come across quite well with him as his communication style. Whereas yeah. Schultz, recently, when <laughs> when he gets asked questions, what happens, Megan? Someone said to me, we were doing like abitur oral exams after the the written exams and someone sent like there was a tweet going around being was like me once in the abitur oral exam <laughs> so he's asked a question by a Deutsche Welle journalist about like can you explain what security measures or something that could you explain what security measures Ger- Germany are assisting Ukraine with or something and his response was yeah I could and there was a long pause while he looked like a dick and then he was like that's it and the thing is I know that we were saying He's new in the job. He doesn't know where anything is. He doesn't know to go to who, you know, your key card's not working anymore. What do you do? No one knows. But he has also been in and around there. It's not like he's just a new politician. He was, he was, the, he was the mayor of Hamburg for a long time. But he also had the other big job. And finance minister. Yes, yes, yes that. that one. <laughs> yes. He's been yeah. rattling around in that other ministry that now fucking Lindner's probably installing a kicker table in. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's 40 and years. F- I think it's 40 years he's been a politician. Right, well, he should be less shite at answering <laughs> questions. Yeah, and just to directly contrast that with Robert Habeck, shall I? Yeah, so please do. Robert is deeply good at communication, you know, to, to a real sort of ridiculous extent where he had a... a um, a uh, interview with the Spiegel last week and they came across as completely charmed to the point where in one of the pictures in the article it was a picture of uh, Robert in between these two journalists who were just like can I get a fucking picture with Robert Harburg and it's like a journalist supposed to be in front of the camera like it's just like allowed um, and he just seemed completely um comfortable in in that in that kind of role and um they started off the article rather you know sort of ludicrously in a way with a quote from Willy Brandt and asking Robert Harbeck what he thought about this quote which was about Germans going through hardship and having to stick together through hardship and then ultimately managing to get through it and they were like what do you think about that quote Robert and he was like um he was very complimentary about the German people and then afterwards they were like do you know do you know who said it Robert and he was like I don't actually know and they were like it's Willy Brandt you know and it's the sense of like you're the next Billy Brandt and we're like giving you this platform Good to Lord. like talk about yourself as the next Billy Brandt. You know, Billy Brandt, for, for those who don't know, was this sort of very, very charming, very um, charismatic chancellor of Germany. He didn't last very long because of a plot orchestrated by the East German Foreign Ministry um, back in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, I think 1972 he was ousted. Um, but he was the mayor of Berlin. He was an incredibly charming politician. He was also very, you know, he changed Germany mm. in his very short time. He changed Germany and he created this Handel durch Wandel ideology of like dealing with the East, um, which arguably is, you know, what led us to the 
dependencies that we have today on Russian gas. But back in those days, it was a way of it was I a way mean, of talking. Everything looked at in a very long view. It's bound to go wrong at some point. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're still doing the same policy 50 years later, maybe you should yes, get I some think new that's, people He was probably job. like, I didn't mean you to do it forever. And obviously, <laughs> if they start being complete dicks, maybe stop. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, when it when it started, it was a totally radical position, Nick. He was the one who first acknowledged that uh, East Germany was a separate state and needed to be dealt with as a separate state. And I can't really remember the reasons for why that's so significant, but it was really significant at the time. And someone sort of, you know, in the article with Der Spiegel, they even asked him, so are you the next chancellor candidate? And it was just this question, it's just this like, he has this way of uh, communicating that is seen as so desperate for this current moment when we have this non-communicator in the top job, mm. who I don't think it's, a f- I don't think it's necessarily because you know, someone should feel sorry for him for not being as good as Robert or not being as good as Merkel. I think he's, very arrogant. I think the only time I've ever seen Schultz communicating well has been when he's communicated something appalling. You know, like when he said that thing about the um, kids who were protesting, or they weren't protesting, but they were speaking up during an event that he did a few weeks back to this Catholic group of people and there were some climate protesters within the crowd and they got up and they said, what are you doing about climate? And he made this really unhelpful comment about how uh, this reminds him of the worst days of Germany, these black clad protesters basically insinuating that they were like Nazis trying to stop an SPD leader from making a speech. And he was really cheered and he had fluid sentences and he was very animated. I'm sorry, he did what? Yeah, it was a very big, big story, uh, quite a few quite a few weeks back now sort of uh, four or five weeks ago um but it was this and his press um his press agent couldn't explain what he meant other than nazis for black black clad protesters and he failed to uh, define who he was talking about so obviously the press just took it as he was talking about nazis and he was comparing youth climate protesters with national socialists which is completely unacceptable but it was the only time that i've ever seen fluid sentences come out of his mouth that were passionate and that had a sense of urgency to them and they were saying the most appalling things and i think underneath it all that's kind of who he is yeah so yeah that compared with harbeck is quite stark yeah i get weird vibes from him like i was just so happy that we didn't have another cdu chancellor i think and I'm like, but, but before before this turns into total like Harbeck love love parade <laughs> podcast, can we talk a bit about his ideas and like because he changed his mind a lot of things. For example, on vaccine patents last year when the Green Party was um, uh, uh, campaigning in the in the election, they were very much for uh, losing all vaccine patents. And then there was a, a famous pod, uh, uh, press conference. A couple of um, weeks after the election, when Harbeck was economy minister, and someone asked him, "So, are you still in favour of lifting all patents on vaccines?" and he said, "Well, now I've had a conversation." He actually said this. Uh, I, I have had a conversation with a few pharmaceutical companies, and now I think it would not be the best way forward. I mean, he mm-hmm. does like. I mean, I guess that's like honest. Yeah. But like he does, he is. You know. He changes his mind about things and 
he's in the Green Party and now he's going around, you know, buying gas and fossil fuels from around um, around the Middle East. I mean, it's like, you know, it is a, I mean, he's kind of in a compromised position, I can understand, because every German economy minister has to sort of look after the German economy, you know? <laughs> like, that's like what you've, it's kind of a part of the job. But it is, he's sort of like, you know, he's still a politician, isn't he? Yeah, I think that there's a really weird dynamic that's going on currently in German politics, which is that the Greens are having to make the most sacrifices, killing the most amount of their darlings in terms of policies. And yet they are increasing their vote share by the most in state elections. So it's a very strange situation where it's hard to figure out if this is going to have an electoral effect on them or not and like barring the electoral effect on the greens what has harbeck done he in response to the uh, energy crisis posed by russia um he went on a big shopping spree with lng and he's also signed a bill that's going to allow lng platforms to be built without as many um environmental Uh, checks and balances to be done in order to build those platforms as fast as possible he described it as tesla speed that he wants those lng platforms to be built um it's more likely at this point that we'll probably just get a couple of fsrus so like floating lng terminals and not actually end up well it's really unsure but there's four lng terminals and right now it looks as if the government is pushing forward to try and build them lindner jumps on fossil fuels whenever there's an opportunity to pay for something that's to do with fossil fuels Lindner will throw money at it but when it's to do with 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 anything else like improving the the health and well-being of society then he draws back and all claims that the market needs to do its work and we can't as a state provide any kind of support but he threw three billion at uh, at the LNG terminals so yeah then in in March uh, off we had Harbeck going and shaking hands with, you know, Qatari officials, which doesn't look great. And then when asked about it, he claims, well, Qatar has come a long way um, in terms of human rights and um, maybe we shouldn't be judging people based on European values and so forth. So it's really problematic language. But for some reason, because of his way with communications, he's not actually like disturbing the public too much. Um, this, the other thing he does, which is sort of what what I've been sort of really watching very closely, is um, the replacement electricity bill, which tries to take away electricity that's being produced through gas and switch it to other sources. And that other source, unfortunately, has become coal. So they have decided, or the economics ministry put forward this bill, the um, the emergency replacement bill, and this bill what it does is it carves out or it tries to put back online a lot of units of coal mines uh, sorry coal fire power plants that had previously been taken offline in order to um uh be part of the phase down so there was before this government came into power there was a 2038 phase out date for coal in this country the coalition got elected on the promise that they would move that back eight years and turn it into 2030 it's not currently in legislation we haven't seen that date in law we think it's gonna be a piece of legislation that comes out in september but that's not completely guaranteed um and this replacement law is really problematic in lots of ways because it it designates around 550 to 600 million euros in you know state funding so taxpayer money to getting these coal plants back online or onto the reserve or from the reserve 
onto the electricity grid. And that's, you know, a lot of people can understand it for many respects because we're at war and because we need to save all this gas. But what a lot of NGOs are pointing out is, okay, fine for hard coal, which is mainly imported from elsewhere. But these lignite mines that Germany has that are you know, set to destroy another village in September, Lutzerat. This is really problematic stuff because uh, lignite burns much more dirtier than, than hard coal. And these lignite power plants are really old and they are in really bad shape. And what that means is the investments that they're going to put into these lignite fired power plants are going to be investments that are so expensive, like a new filtration system for one called Janschwelder in uh, East Germany, a new filtration system that's going to cost so much that it's going to be unjustifiable to then in 2024 say, right, we spent yeah. 10 million euros on this power plant, but now we don't need it anymore because now we're, we're going straight with renewables. So we're going to phase it down. Um, so it's really problematic. And what sort of, I guess, the climate community and the NGOs and climate think tanks would really put forward is you need not just an energy savings voluntary campaign, you need an energy savings mandatory campaign to cut consumption of gas. And you also need a massive build out of renewables and heat pumps. And you need to do real communication with the public that this is going to be a really hard year. We can get through it. But getting through it is going to mean an entire nationwide effort to build out renewables because we've lacked the investment in renewables. We've had a lost decade in terms of renewables build out. And as a result, we're in this position. You know, that was the really bold position. I think that was the kind of Ostpolitik, Willy Brandt moment for Harbeck. But instead he chose the easy option, which is turn on fucking old, disgusting, dirty coal plants. And this is something like I find unsurprising, but then also totally baffling because it plays very much this like idea of the public not wanting you know oh you can't do that the electorate will never go for it and stuff and honestly i think we've shown in the last two years like how willing the majority of people are to like suck it up and make huge sacrifices professionally personally socially for the greater good and i think everyone is worried about climate change and if people just actually had kind of you know, like it's frustrating when someone like Habeck, who has these skills, who has this sort of presumably commitment, can't just go, do you know what? This is what we're going to have to do. It's going to suck, but it is going to mean in two years time, we're going to be in a much better place energy wise. I don't fucking want taxpayers money going into some lignite shit show. Yeah, it it does feel like that. It feels like he is taking somewhat the vote winning way out because it's working, right? But you does know, you've it got- win votes? Well, we've had two state elections, which I know from listening as an avid listener to your podcast that you've already covered in detail, um, where the Greens tripled their votes in both of them. So we had the Schleswig-Holstein mm. and then we had the NRV, uh, Nordrhein-Westfalia election um, a week after that. And both times the Greens tripled and the Greens are really soaring in the polls. So mm. Annalena and Harbeck are doing extremely well. Harbeck is... S- kind of being talked about as next finance minister or even some people are sort of like muttering about chancellor like he is kind of becoming that figure in german politics that people are wanting and willing to rally around because of the lack of i mean lindner is a joke he keeps on coming out with silly policies advocating silliness 
at a time when we can't rely on a market to create the amount of coordinated uh, change or coordinated um, reaction that we need. And everyone understands that that's not a difficult that's not a difficult concept to get into people's heads. The market is unable to act in the same way as a government is able to act in times of crisis. It's not hard to understand that. Lindner keeps on coming out with silliness, like the tank rabat, which everyone can see didn't fucking work. Yeah, he's not He's not a serious human being. It's silly. Like, I'm sorry, like, I... I, I uh, yeah. But do you think, like, if Habeck actually stuck to his guns and was sort of... It's interesting then, is the success of the Greens due to the fact that they have kind of shifted and people are looking at them going, ah, okay, I was a bit nervous about voting Green before because I thought they were going to take my car away and do all of this radical stuff, but actually I see now that they... Or do they just see two politicians in Baerbock and Habeck like doing quite a good job? Mm. And then... (sighs) I think that there's a couple of things to mention here, which is like, firstly, they've really stuck to their guns on nuclear. So the Greens started out as an anti-nuclear party. Yeah. And there would have been or could have been possibly an argument to make that, okay, let's just turn back on the old nuclear plants. And there's lots of reasons to not do that. Um, So the nuclear lobby are saying that would be a really good option to do. But and that's what the FTP is advocating as well. But then safety analysts are saying actually um you can't safely turn back on those nuclear plants um because of the lack of personnel and also because we don't have these fuel rods that we need um and those fuel rods are you know take years to import and all this kind of stuff so there's a lot of people who are saying that wouldn't even be possible now okay but the greens have stuck to their guns on it and they've said absolutely not we're not doing nuclear and some people like steffi lemke for instance who's the environment minister have been called ideological in their decision but i think that's just german way of like saying sexism through other means um, ideological <laughs> has become a byword for kind Hysteria. of like emotional yeah <laughs> like i don't you need to have politicians with ideology otherwise it's just left up to the fucking fascists there you go they also d- have ideology. Yes, that's the thing. Yeah. And if we don't combat that with other ideology, I hate this fucking pragmatism because we're not pragmatic. Christian Lindner just wants to drive his big boy cars around. If we were pragmatic, like not, we would be he's wearing a suit and is a, exactly, and a, and a white man doesn't make him pragmatic. <laughs> like he's just a loon. If he came out with good ideas though, then I would definitely spot him as a fucking insane sex symbol. Like he is a. I can't even. He did do. I can't even say words. He did. How is your mega can, by the way? I'm so warm. I'm drunk. I mean, I think I'm like nearly through. (laughs) I can feel it. So you drink all of it? I'm drinking all of it. I finished mine ages ago. Really? You always do. I'm just, you know, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm a guzzler. I'm a guzzler. What can I say? (laughs) I just want Uh, to say one more thing that the Greens are doing. Okay. Right, so like we have some long-term or mid-term to long-term goals that the Greens are not backing down on. So 2030 is apparently not in play in terms of coal phase-out, i.e. they're going to stick to their guns with 2030. Right. I don't know, like that's the Greens up against potentially the FDP and the and the SPD saying carry yeah. on. But um, they're saying it's not in play, so like don't worry about 2030. And they're also... Um, Harbeck came out with his Easter package uh, back in March, which was a package of measures or plans to increase renewables by 300%. So triple Mm. the amount of renewables that we have online by 2030. So that's, I mean, that's good. But you know who's his his enemy in that? Marcus Zerda. 
Oh, in don't Bavaria. Fuck Grim Soda. I can't deal with him today. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they are, correct me if I'm wrong, they are at loggerheads over the distances between windmills yeah. in Bavaria. Well, we mentioned that before. But yeah, it's, um, um, that is a thing, isn't it? Well, he's, do? Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, so what Harbeck has said is he will bring he will bring in a 2% law on the federal level if states don't comply. Yeah. So it's kind of this thing of like, either you comply and you get to choose your 2% of land yeah. or you don't comply and the federal government will come in and choose it for you. Okay. Well, so. then that's, you know, yeah. He, he is kind fine. of strong arming some stuff, but it's not enough. And I think that Harbeck... You know, just like you were saying, Megan, earlier, like you never know if you're actually going to support like a potential neoliberal monster. And <laughs> he's so charming, and he's usually the ones I fancy turn out to be monsters. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting very Tony Blair vibes from Harbeck. Oh my know. god, I accidentally watched some BBC News the other day because I've got the Beebs to watch Wimbledon, and then sometimes it comes on, and Tony Blair was on, like he's calling everywhere. for a return descent, and he looks like his own resuscitated vampire corpse. Mm. Yeah, definite sort of Blairite vibes. If you had Robert's ear, mm. oh yes, you're there Sunday morning. He's reading the paper in bed, shirt off. Yes. Oh, <laughs> babe, the stakes. <laughs> The stakes. Uh, what are you saying to him? Like, what would your, what do you think we need to be doing in um, in Germany? What are our? Oh man. Okay. Well, if I take my eyes off of that insane image. Um, okay. So, <laughs> mandatory energy savings plan of ten to fifteen percent. Um, energy efficiency being uh, mandated in all new buildings. Gas boilers being uh, stopped uh, for installations within the next, not three years, but one. And heat pumps being rolled out on um, a massive scale. So, What is a heat pump? A heat pump is a pump that generates hot water and heating through electricity. So a heat pump is something that will green with the electricity grid, like an electric car, right? A lot of people are like, I see, oh, electric I cars see. aren't actually green because they get all their power from coal plants. Yeah, it's but like, that's only they, because they green, that is that. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. Yeah. And they're also um, air conditioning as well. So a heat pump can work in both ways as an air conditioner. And they sound also, great. They're amazing. Like as soon as you get into heat pumps, you're like, why the fuck have we done this? This is a, if we were if we were rational creatures. This is the thing, and everyone likes Christian Lindsay. Like politicians, well, well, you know, you have to be pragmatic. It's like if we were no pragmatic, we would be doing literally all this cool stuff. nobody is apart from probably like Klaus Müller and these kind of people and scientists. These are the people we need to like listen to, like the actual experts in these fields. And obviously, there's like biases and stuff that comes in there as well. I can't make rational decisions about sort of politics thing so I have to just look at like okay well what are the real experts saying and what's kind of in line with my party's values and the people who voted for me like what do they want me to do and then you you do that you can't just go with your own head should we, we begin to wrap up here yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of a bumper episode it is it's always nice when we have busy Maybe she'd like to come back all the time. Sorry, I'm just, I was just, I downed my last goal. Good, good. There you go. It's quite hard to get the very last bit out of Omega. I think I might have 
I might have released gas from my mouth a few times. Like I did all I was talking. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Our oh. listeners are used to it. Izzy, thank you very, 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 very much. Mm. And I'd really suggest that everyone goes along to your show on... Tour. Tour. On the 16th. <laughs> at Martin Luther at two. Yeah, and then yeah. after that... After that <laughs> what are they going to do after that? You are going to come if you would like to the... We're, we're doing a live show as part of Podfest Berlin yeah. on the 16th at 4.15. Well, that is our, that is our load-in time. Oh, God, you can come and watch me stress. <laughs> so if you want to come and watch us setting up, come at 4.15. But if you want to see the actual show, maybe more like 10 to 5, 5 o'clock. We might need a bit of time. We've got a live musician. I don't think it's going to take us 45 minutes to set up. Mm-hmm. Where are you guys doing it? We've only it? got 70 minutes. I can finish the tour like where you guys are doing it. Oh, so where are we like doing it? Table. In the noisy rooms in Ravalastrasse oh. in Friedrichshain. Okay, I'm not going to finish there. You should definitely come to my tour and then go straight over Just and watch Conrad hot and foot it. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm very excited. Yeah. So am I. Yay. It's going to be brilliant. We'll have special guests and a special musician. Yes. And maggots. Obviously. Can everyone drink megas? Will you have yeah. megas for sale? We did at the last show we did. Yeah, but that, we were in a bar. Yeah, we were in a bar. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> I don't know. We need to think, but... I think everyone carry should be progressively in. getting drunk. I don't know how anyone listens without it, frankly. <laughs> the news is terrifying. Yeah. It's been an absolute delight, Izzy. Thank you very, very, very much. Yeah, it's brilliant. Thank you very much. That was great. Thanks very much for having me. No, it's good. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everyone.